In the name of God, creator, redeemer, and giver of life. Amen. Good morning. Wonderful to see you all here. My uh, soul brother, I've never met him, but he's, he's my soul brother, Richard Rohr. Uh, he says that every morning he prays for his daily humiliation. Uh, I've received my daily humiliation today. I uh, failed to notice that the text that I would be preaching on is not actually printed in your bulletins. Uh, my apologies for that, but we'll work through it. It'll be all good. And there's also a, another slight error, which is that it seems that of the three children listed in your bulletins as being baptized today, apparently we only have one present. So, so it goes some days. Imagine, if you would, for a moment, imagine that your nation has been invaded by a massive foreign army and your people have been swiftly and thoroughly defeated. Imagine that the occupying army has burned and pillaged its way through every town on its way to your capital city, which it has sacked and it has rounded up all of the teachers and journalists and artists and priests and leaders and marched them off to work as slaves in the conquering nation. And now imagine that you are one of those people who has been marched off and your job is to stand up in the midst of these your people, these broken and exhausted refugees, and speak to them in the name of their God. Because you're a prophet, you see, and these are your people. In the past, you spoke the truth, warning the king about the coming catastrophe. He didn't listen. Well, now they're listening. So what do you say to them? It's late at night, I imagine. They're huddled against the cold in thin blankets. They're Faces are lit by campfires and their faces are turned up to you and they're streaked with tears and caked with dust. And they're begging you to please stand and speak the truth once more. Why has this happened to us? What will become of us? Where is God now? That was the situation facing the prophet Isaiah in our reading this morning. And what he sees when he looks into all of those upturned faces changes him profoundly because what he sees is a people that has been stripped of every self-serving story, every self-aggrandizing attachment, every ambition and every delusion that comes between them and God has been taken away. They have been broken and now they are open. And it is in that broken, open moment of truth that the prophet hears God's voice. First, the prophet Isaiah reminds them of who their God is. He says, thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people upon it and spirit to those 
who walk on it. In other words, Isaiah is saying, this is not the God of your nation state that is speaking. This isn't the God of tribal identity or conquering armies or glittering emperors. This is the God of the universe. This is the God of every creature that draws breath. And the prophet is reminding his people that at the heart of their identity, they're not Israelis, they're not Babylonians, they're not Egyptians or Greeks. At their core, they belong to the creator and the giver of life. And for reasons that we will never comprehend, that creator is calling to them now. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I have given you as a covenant to the people. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind. In other words, their nation has died and that has cleared their eyes from the fake gods and calling them to a great purpose, a purpose beyond what they can imagine on their own, something greater than a great nation. They are called to be a light to the nations. This prophet even dares to imagine the kind of leader who will lead them into this righteousness. He will not be a great warrior king, invincible and arrogant. No, he will imagine someone deeply subversive, a suffering servant, one who knows about brokenness and how it opens us to love. He speaks of God as a woman in labor crying out for new life, as a shepherd clutching a lamb to his chest. A God who cares for the outcast and the poor, giving sight to the blind and liberation to those in dungeons. You know, it's so easy for us to forget how big our God is. And when we forget that our God is bigger than our nation, then our nation becomes our God and the rest of the world becomes our enemy. When 9-11 happened, I was asked to speak to a crowd of 10,000 students and faculty who had gathered at the heart of the University of Michigan campus in Ann Arbor. The purpose of that gathering was to pray and to hold vigil, and the feeling in the air was unforgettable. We were also profoundly connected by our grief and our love. I thought about all the people of every color and tribe and nation who had lined up at blood banks that day. And for a moment I thought, maybe this horrible event, as unspeakable as it was, maybe it might just bring us together, that this brokenness would open us to unity and love. And then I looked down to my right near the front of the stage and there was a small but extremely vocal group of young men waving a big American flag and chanting, USA, USA. And my, my heart just sank. 
because I knew that once all the praying and the weeping was over, the politicians would pick up on that chant and there would be war. And nothing about the broken unity of that moment would prevail against that lust for nationalism and war. You know, in times of crisis, it's natural for us to want to find our tribe, you know? Whenever, I, whenever I've moved to a new city, I've looked for the local sports team that I can cheer for. I buy the baseball cap, I go to a few games, and it feels like I've joined my new tribe. And on one level, at least, that's what we're doing today with this sacrament of baptism. Because baptism is, at its root, an initiation into a tribe. Today we're welcoming this beautiful child right over here um, into the tribe of the Episcopal Church and the body of Christ. And let's be honest, you know, for long stretches of his life, it probably won't matter that much. If he is like most children, he will pass through several phases in which church becomes, in turns, unbearably boring, grade school, then hopelessly outdated, high school, and then intellectually vacuous, college. <laughs> and at other stages in his life, he might find comfort in this tribe. As, as an adult, he might take pleasure in learning our deliciously obscure words like vergers and narthex and chancel, sacristy. I love saying those words. He might inherit our unreasoning fascination for the British royal family. <laughs> you know, and, and our fondness for public broadcasting. He might even fall desperately in love with our exquisite musical traditions and our mysterious sacraments and our highbrow preaching and truly take his place as a member, perhaps even as a leader of this quite marvelous machine that is this cathedral. But none of that has actually anything to do with baptism because none of us are baptized into the Episcopal Cathedral of Portland, Oregon. We are baptized into the body of Christ, which is infinitely bigger than any church or any nation or any planet for that matter. It's all very well and good to enjoy the Vicar of Dibley, I do, and to take our tea at four, but you know, when the chips are down, and the barbarians are at the gates, we're going to be asking ourselves some more basic questions, such as, will you persevere in resisting evil? Will you seek and serve Christ in all persons? Will you strive for justice and peace among all nations? How we answer those questions will determine whether or not we're being faithful to this tribe, which is more than a tribe, but a light to enlighten the nations. A light that has shone in the darkest of times throughout human history, wherever someone has spoken truth to power, come what may. 
whenever someone has asked a challenging question in a climate of fear, whenever someone has fed a hungry child or spoken a word of hope to someone down on their luck, they are members of this tribe. Those of you who have been baptized, this is the tribe that you have joined. And those of you who have not been baptized, this is the tribe to which you are invited. It's a tribe that transcends all languages and races and nations and even all religions because our God is bigger than anything that we can create or imagine. And that God is calling us now. So let's get on with it. Amen.